In the days after the murder of Joseph and Hiram Smith in June of 1844, things were pretty tense in Nauvoo, which at the time was the center of the church. From the outside, the city was threatened by mobs and militias from Iowa, Missouri, and other parts of Illinois. Inside, hotheads like Porter Rockwell wanted to rampage, matching the assassins ball for ball. Church leaders worked hard to keep tempers in check and preserve peace and public order. In the middle of this time of frayed nerves, broken hearts, and short fuses, Dr. Robert Foster suddenly showed up in the city again. Foster, a one-time friend who had broken with the church, had been instrumental in the events leading up to the murders. Now, less than two weeks later, he was back, planning to set up in business again, and he defied any man in the city to make him leave. But he forgot one thing, you don't mess with the sisters. I'm Nate Olson, and this is Adventures in Mormon History. Robert Foster is best remembered today as one of the proprietors of the Nauvoo Expositor, an excommunicated Mormon who came to oppose Joseph Smith leading the church. But he wasn't always an enemy or even a critic. Foster, an Englishman who had converted to Mormonism in 1839, moved to Nauvoo and became heavily involved in public life. He was a land speculator. He practiced medicine. He donated a generous amount of money to build the Nauvoo house, and he served as a justice of the peace. But throughout 1844, he began locking horns with church and city leadership on a variety of issues, including criminal justice, land speculation, the behavior of his irascible brother Charles, and the church's practice of polygamy. One such controversy came up in Foster's role as a magistrate. In March of 1844, two of Foster's friends, William Marr and John Easton, whipped a man surnamed Chisholm, a black resident of the city. They beat him severely because they suspected him of stealing from Marr's store. The city marshal, John P. Green, got a warrant to arrest them from Daniel H. Wells. But courts back then were set up somewhat differently than they are today, and a common way to beat the rap in the mid-19th century was to race to a friendlier judge and demand a trial. Well, that's what Easton did. Before Green could bring him to Daniel Wells, he had Robert Foster issue an arrest warrant for him. And so, when he came into court, Foster promptly found him not guilty. This rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, including John Taylor, church leader and editor of the Nauvoo Neighbor. In an editorial, he thundered against the violence done to Chisholm and said, This was a sham trial and a mockery of justice. We don't remember ever having seen more indignation manifest than was manifested on this occasion, and the public mind is not satisfied at the turn these events have taken. Lynch law will not do in Nauvoo, and those who engage in it must expect to be visited by the wrath of an indignant people, not according to the rules of Judge Lynch, but according to law and equity. Other non-Mormons also complained about Foster's conduct. According to one of them, Marinus Eaton, Robert Foster was prone to rather extreme forms of domestic violence. In an affidavit, Eaton recounted how Robert Foster had told him of a time he came home to find an unnamed visitor at his house, who greeted Foster politely and then took his leave. Suspecting that his wife was being unfaithful to him, Foster pulled out a pistol and threatened to shoot her, raging and threatening until she finally fainted. Between these and other 
controversies, Robert Foster's relationship with Joseph Smith had soured badly by April of 1844, and on the 13th of that month, Joseph Smith tried to reconcile with him, asking him to tell me where I have done wrong and I will ask your forgiveness. But Foster refused, and a few days later, he was excommunicated from the church. So after this, Robert Foster and others came together and published the one and only edition of the Nauvoo Expositor a paper that purported to expose the sins and the crimes of the church leaders in the most inflammatory and incendiary language. The city council decided it was a libelous paper and therefore a public nuisance. So the city marshal, John P. Green, led a posse and destroyed the press on the 10th of June, 1844. Foster and the other newspaper proprietors sought for and got a warrant to have Joseph and Hiram arrested. Their efforts got the Smith brothers locked up in the Carthage jail, where a mob murdered them just two weeks later. In the days after the murder, Many people expected the Mormons of Nauvoo to go on a rampage. Among these people were Governor Thomas Ford. The night after the murders, Governor Ford rode through the city of Carthage in a near panic, warning the residents that the Mormon Avenger would come before daylight and that the people needed to run for their lives. But church and city leaders managed to check any such impulse, and the people of Nauvoo remained at peace. But that peace was put to the test on July 7th, when less than 10 days after the murders, Robert Foster came back to Nauvoo with a permit from the governor to conduct business. Emotions over the murders were still very raw, and Robert Foster was suspected not only of working hard to get the Smiths into Carthage jail, but also conspiring in their assassination. The state would later issue a warrant for Foster's arrest for his role in the killing. So it was no surprise when the people of Nauvoo saw Foster's return as a provocative outrage. Among them, Orrin Porter Rockwell, the Mormon gunslinger and childhood friend of the Smiths. Foster's return sent Porter into a rage. William Clayton tried to reason with him, arguing that Joseph and Hiram had surrendered themselves to the state authorities because they wanted to spare the city from the threat of mob invasion. And, he argued, if he attacked Foster, the governor would remove his support from them, the mobs would come to Nauvoo and put the city to the torch. But it was all no good. As Clayton wrote, no reasoning seems to touch him. Porter loudly and angrily threatened to kill Robert Foster. But Foster wasn't exactly a pushover. Rather than be cowed by Porter Rockwell, he went straight to the Nauvoo City Council and demanded a bodyguard at the public expense. Anxious to avoid bloodshed, the council agreed and provided him with a bodyguard. But on the night of July 10th, 1844, Robert Foster got a knock on his door. and found a group of Relief Society sisters, led by Mary Fielding Smith, the widow of Hiram Smith, and Lenora Taylor, whose husband, John Taylor, had been shot multiple times at the Carthage jail, but was still alive. They told him, Dr. Foster, your presence in our city is an insult to us, and we will bear your insults no longer, and if you do not leave the city forthwith, we will return the following day with a larger force. With that, the sisters turned around and marched off into the night. 
Now, Foster was not an easy man to intimidate, ordinarily. According to Eaton, he could be a brute and a bully to his poor wife. According to John Taylor, he was notoriously wicked and corrupt. But nobody ever accused him of being a coward or a pushover. Porter Rockwell himself couldn't drive him from the city. But this nighttime visit from the sisters, including one widow and one near-widow of the Carthage jail, left him speechless and terrified. William Clayton recorded, The doctor was much affrighted and looked every way for fear that someone would be upon him. And before another day had come and gone, Foster had packed up his belongings and fled the city. It was hoped, William Clayton wrote, that he would never return. Robert Foster learned an important lesson. In Nauvoo, 1844, you don't mess with the sisters. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We wish you all a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year as we wrap up 2020. I'm Nate Olson, and this is Adventures in Mormon History.